If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kristen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you that you uh, didn't just speak in the past, but by your spirit you speak to us today. And we ask that you would take these words and apply them to our hearts and our minds and our lives. And as we hear you speak, you would help us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do have that uh, passage open in front of you. And uh, just so a, a quick reminder then where we've got to we're this term, thinking about the question of identity. And we're thinking of it from that point of view of um, who am I as a follower of Jesus? In other words, we're making the suggestion or we're making the proposal that the Bible's talk about being a follower of Jesus, belonging to God's family, isn't simply a set of things I believe, tick, 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 nor a list of things I do, but is fundamentally about who I am becoming. It's about my identity. It's to do with who I am. And we thought over the last few weeks about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Last week, Jez was helping us to use the, the lens of the language of friendship. And uh, this week, we're going to think about what it means for our identity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, these words uh, come just for a little bit before the passage that Jez was speaking from last week in John 15. We're looking at John 14. And they're words that Jesus was speaking to his disciples as he prepared them for him leaving them. And the question has to do with being abandoned and being accompanied. The fear we all have of abandonment, of aloneness, and the promise Jesus gives of accompaniment and of deep, satisfying intimate relationship. Philosophers, writers, psychologists, psychiatrists, playwrights have delved into this whole question of aloneness, of abandonment, perhaps more than any other one single theme, apart from, if you like, its polar opposite, that of being loved. For some of us, aloneness is something we feel that we experience on a daily or regular basis. For others of us, we're fortunate enough, perhaps, to be able to look back only and see particular moments where we've been especially aware of being alone. It seems to me that there are particular points in everybody's life where, however gregarious you are, however much you live in a, a lovely um, sort of encompassing family, household, community, neighborhood, there are particular moments in our lives when we're aware of being on our own. One of those particular that maybe many of us have forgotten because we're a bit older, um, is adolescence. That moment, no, not moment, that period of life where children begin to be aware of their selfhood in a way that they've never been aware of it before. 
where we begin to be aware that the world's a big place and sometimes a bit of a scary place where we begin in our adolescent years to realize that we are fundamentally on our own in the sense of having to take responsibility, having to make decisions, where we begin to be aware of our place in the world. I think there are maybe some other major moments in life. I often talk about the midlife um, of life, basically because I'm in the midst of the midlife of my life. And I do think it's another moment when you begin to realize again of that sense of me, my selfhood, my identity, who am I? And that actually, um, left to my own devices, there is a sense of aloneness. I need, on the inside, to make decisions about who I am, about my life. Nobody can make them for me. Nobody can reach into my heart and know me from the inside out. What are we to do with that sense of aloneness? Well, for these disciples, their moment of abandonment and aloneness was about to come. Jesus, looking ahead just hours knew that having had this incredibly intense sense of togetherness over these past three years, where day and night, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they had spent this joyous time with Jesus. They had found in this person somebody they believed in, somebody they could follow, somebody who completed them, somebody who gave them a sense of of who they really were, of what the world was for. He was about to leave them. They would watch him nailed to a cross. They would watch him die. They would have three days where their world just disappeared from underneath their feet. And he then knew, looking ahead even further, that even after his resurrection, there would come a time some days later when he would leave them to go back to be with his Father in heaven. How were they going to live in a world where they had been accompanied but were now alone? What were they to do with that feeling? And he uses the language of orphanage of being made orphans. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. The word that he used then, or the word that John uses then at least, um, is a word that, yes, was sometimes used of children who had lost both their parents, but it could also be used of a child who'd lost one parent, but it could also be used of a disciple who'd lost their master. It it was used of anybody who was abandoned. What were they going to do? What would happen? Well, Jesus makes them a promise. Jesus makes them a promise, and it's the same promise he makes to you and he makes to me. And the promise is never to leave you as an orphan, that there is no point in your life, however alone you feel, however isolated you might be, however huge the the challenges ahead, however big the decisions you have to make, however much you feel in that spotlight of decision. There is no point in your life where you have to be alone because he refuses to leave you as an orphan. And what's the promise? It's very simple. I will come to you. Verse 18, I will come to you. The fundamental identity, what makes you, you, as a follower of Jesus, is not the stuff you believe, Not the lifestyle you lead, but primarily the friend who has come alongside you. The one who has come to you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
It's a huge promise. They wouldn't have understood it at all at the time. It wouldn't have made sense to them. Their, their hope would have been, well, well, of course you wouldn't leave us as orphans. And of course you're always going to be with us, aren't you, Jesus? That's all they knew for the past three years. They had no expectation that he was going to die, still less that he would rise and then go and be with his father. None of this would have made sense. But looking back, what a promise to hold on to. What a thing to have. Um, I remember my, um, my, when I left home at the, at the end of my sixth form years, um, aged 18, and I went and spent a year out uh, working as a general dog's body, officially lay assistant, but general dog's body was a better um, phrase for it, for a church down on the south coast. And I had a truly rotten year. Uh, it was uh, definitely, the, of the 47 years I've lived so far, it was definitely the year I look back on with least pleasure. Um, and I'm sure it wasn't the church's fault. It was just complete fish out of water uh, time. Uh, I was the only one of my age there. Um, it really uh, was a there were lots of children, and there were lots of much older folk, but there was pretty much nobody my age. Um, I lived with a, a very lovely family, but I just didn't click with them at all. Um, and I basically spent my days working in the office at the church, and I seemed to spend a lot of my time stamping hymn books. I don't how many hymn books can a church have? I just seem to I seem to remember that all my time I was doing this, or moving chairs, or working in the cafe that the church ran. And my evening I spent in my room, a tiny room, just about big enough for a bed on stilts and a desk underneath. It was incredibly lonely. But there was one thing that got me through, actually two people that got me through, my aunt and my uncle, who lived about three quarters of an hour away um, on the train. And uh, my aunt is my God, one of my godparents, and I know that she's prayed for me every single day since um, I was born. She's now in her 80s, and she still texts me at least weekly to say, send me little verses from the Bible and say, I'm praying for you today. It's wonderful. Um, and usually they arrive at exactly the right moment with exactly the right uh, thing that I need to hear. And they lived about three quarters of an hour away, and the thing that got me through each week was that almost every Saturday, I mean, I look back now and I think, gosh, this was a real imposition of me, but they, there you go, they were very lovely. They said, just come and spend the day with us. And they didn't do anything special. I mean, they just carried on doing what they were going to be normally doing on that Saturday. They simply spent time with me. They accompanied me. It's what made the Sunday through to the Friday doable because I knew that I would be accompanied on the Saturday. If they were going shopping, I'd go shopping with them. If they were going out for the day, I'd go out for the day with them. Quite often, I'd sit with them at home. We'd drink tea and coffee and just be. Accompaniment, friendship, being with, being able to just go... And yet what Jesus is offering, what Jesus is promising, is something infinitely greater, infinitely more wonderful. Not a once a week hit of being accompanied, as if you have to get through Monday through Saturday, and then you get a fleeting moment of God on a Sunday, and then you have to plunge back into the rest of the week. This is a promise of accompaniment every moment of every day in every possible way. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another, another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, there's a couple of really interesting words in there. He says another advocate. That's a very odd thing to say. They were probably, if they'd really been listening properly, they'd probably be thinking, another? Well, we didn't know we had the first one, so how come we've got another? And, and the word that John uses actually means another of the same kind. In other words, not like something different, but an, you know, a, a repeat in some way. 
Actually, what they realized looking back was what was Jesus was promising them was, just as I have been with you, now I am coming to you in a new way, but in the same way. Another, like me, to be with you. And an advocate sounds strange. I mean, we tend to use advocate in a legal sense, one who speaks on another's behalf. But the word, as I've, I've mentioned a few times from the front here, and on our weekend away, we talked about this particularly. The word <coughs> that John uses is a, a, a word um, uh, that means something, I think, a bit richer than simply advocate. Or some translations, if you've got a different one at home, we use the word comforter here. The word in Greek is parakletos. And it's, it's a sort of pulling together of a couple of other bit words. Um, the, the para bit, you, if you know the word parallel in English... It means alongside, something along those lines. Alongside, para. Kletos, the closest we've got in English, is klaxon, a call. Okay? Parakletos, you might describe best as the called alongside one. The called alongside one. My aunt and uncle were, if you like, called alongside me once a week on a Saturday. They just did life alongside me. They were called alongside. What Jesus was promising was that he wouldn't leave them as orphans. He wouldn't leave them to live life on their own. He wouldn't leave them to be isolated, abandoned. Instead, he would come to them by his Holy Spirit, called alongside them every moment of every day, wherever they were, whatever they were doing. And of course, that would mean that in some way he would be like an advocate or a legal counsel, the one who stands up next to you in court and speaks on your behalf. It would mean that he would be like a, a comforter, the one who'd come alongside and encourage you when you were down. But it means even more than that. God himself come alongside the Holy Spirit called to be with us. That is Jesus' promise to you. The question is, how determined are you to live life on your own? Or how willing are you instead to simply say yes to the promise? To be a follower of Jesus is to say yes to the gift of his Holy Spirit, to the gift of his called alongside one. And there are only two ways to live life, according to Jesus. There are only two ways to live life, according to the Bible. There is the way to live life where from the moment you're born to the moment you die, you are fundamentally on your own from the inside out. Or there is the way to live life where you simply say yes to the promise of God to be alongside you every step of the way by his spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? <laughs> Endless things. His three, just from this passage, very briefly. First, this Holy Spirit is the empowering spirit. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Actually, rather, rather better translation would be more along these lines. If you are loving me, then you will be keeping my commands. It's a promise rather than a command. If you want to live a good life, if you want to live a life that you look back on at the end and go, I'm glad I lived that way. You need some help. You need to not be living on your own. We all know that. I mean, certainly by the time you hit my age, you realize that actually you need an awful lot of help to live even, even up to your own fairly low standards, let alone the standards of God. The Holy Spirit is the empowering presence of God to help us to live his way. It comes again um, later on, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. In other words, 
in loving me and allowing me to come alongside you, you will find that I help you to keep my commands, to live the way that you're meant to live. It turns religion on its head. Religion says, if you can pluck up the energy, the courage, the sort of um, moral discipline to live well enough for God, then God might be interested in you. The Christian faith says God is interested in you, and as he comes alongside you, he helps you to live for him. It's totally different. It's a completely other way up. The empowering spirit. But secondly, the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us is the revealing spirit. Verse 17. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The Bible promises that one of the things the Holy Spirit does for us is to open our eyes to know God better, to see the world the way God sees it, to see ourselves the way God sees us, and most of all, to see him better. If you ever, at any point in your life, feel that life is foggy and fuzzy and you're not sure of the way ahead, the Holy Spirit's job is to help you by revealing how life is to be lived who God is, who you are, how the world works. And finally, he is the one who is the comforting spirit of God. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What a beautiful promise. We all of us need comfort at some point. We need comfort when relationships break and crack. We need comfort when we know we've messed up and we can't put the pieces back together again. We need comfort when we're disappointed with life and with all that we aimed for. We need comfort when family life doesn't work out how we'd like it to or when our bank balance isn't as we need it to be or when we just need comfort. And Jesus says, I haven't left you as an orphan. You're not abandoned. I promise you, I will speak to the Father, and he will give you another called alongside one. Me coming by my Holy Spirit to empower you to live more the life that you know that you want to live. To reveal to you the way the world really is, the way you are, and most of all, the love of God for you. And to comfort you. So that you know that you are loved. There was a moment partway through my time on the South Coast in my year between school and university, which I will never forget. I remember lying on my bed, which was fairly memorable just because it was virtually up next to the ceiling. It was was a very, I I had to be careful not to sit up too fast in bed because I banged my head on the ceiling. And I remember lying up there one night feeling utterly, utterly bereft, utterly abandoned, utterly alone, utterly miserable. And there was just a moment where I remembered that, of course, I wasn't alone, that my Heavenly Father loved me, that he was with me. And there was a fleeting image in my mind of uh, a safety net under a trapeze. If you've ever been to the circus, seen it on TV, you know what I'm talking about. And the words in my head were, you can't fall further than my arms what an astonishing thing to know that's the promise Jesus makes I will not leave you at all as orphans I will come to you 
you cannot fall further than my arms. I will empower you, reveal to you, I will comfort you. You just need to go on saying yes. Now, I leak. I need to be filled with God's spirit every day. I push him out of bits of my life. I try and do life on my own. I need to go on saying yes to God. It's not a very difficult thing to do. It is simply saying yes. Most often in the mornings, as I'm praying, I will simply sit there with my hands like this, making an open bowl. And I recognize that I've got nothing to bring to God apart from me, but he has everything to give to me. And I simply say, in fact, I'll say it many times a day, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit because I need you. I don't want to live life on my own. In a moment, we're going to share communion. And communion is the meal in which we recognize that as Jesus gave his life for us, he now gives his life to us by his spirit day after day after day. So as you put out your hands to receive the bread and to take the cup, or as you kneel there to receive a blessing, why don't you take the opportunity, even if it's for the, maybe especially if it's for the first time, of simply saying yes to God's promise of the called alongside one who loves you, of the called alongside one who wants to be with you. And see what he does. Let's pause for a moment as I prepare the table for communion. And uh, let's see what God has to say to us by his spirit as we receive from him.